Memories are a strange thing, isn't it? Just singing that hymn, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, took me back to my own conversion. And I never went to church, and my brother worked, and here, Graham, I I say this to you, my brother worked in an electronics firm uh, with a Christian. And he witnessed to him and said, come along and hear Billy Graham. And my brother didn't want to go by himself, so I went with him. And Billy Graham gave the message. I was touched. I know, no, not church goers or anything. I was right down the front. And this old minister, Mr. McKendrick, he was a lovely, godly man. He said to me, Robert, I want you to do one thing for me. And I said, yeah, sure. I was 20 years old. I just wanted to go away and think what I had done. He said, Robert, I want you to stop the first person that you see when you leave this place. Stop them and tell them that you had just become a Christian. And in my mind and in my head, I'm saying, this guy is crazy. Me stop the first person and tell them. Of course, I'm saying... said to the kids don't tell lies I was tell, oh yeah yeah sure I'll do it and I just wanted to get out and I'm down the road 50 yards and I met a girl that I used to go dancing with and I'm talking to her spending the time of day and I felt a tap on my shoulder I turned round and who was there but Mr McKendrick the guy that had led me to the Lord and he said Robert are you telling her And I said, no, but I will. And that was my first testimony. And that just brought back many memories. Because you are in an ideal position here. And I'm sure your great desire is to reach out and tell people that God loves them. And then leave the rest to Him. Don't we have a great God? Come on, don't we have a great God? Don't we have a wonderful God? And don't we have this wonderful message to tell to a lost world out there? If you have your... No, don't have your Bibles. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you just to drink in. We've been talking about drinking. I want you to drink in God's Word for yourself right now. So if you close your eyes and just concentrate on God... And this is God's word to you. Drink it in. Now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, 
always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And for us to win that world out there, God asks us a very, gives us a very simple task. He asks us to love them as he has loved us. God loves you and God loves me personally, powerfully and passionately. Others have promised to do that and have failed. But God has promised to do that and he has succeeded. He loves you and me with an unfailing love. Now here's the wonderful and great truth behind that. A truth that I pray that all of us will be able to grasp today and take it with us. That if you and I will let him, he will fill us with what? He will fill us with his love. And then and only then, when we are filled with his love, we will have a love within us that's worth sharing and worth giving to a world out there that's crying to hear from it. Do you believe that? You need to believe it, my friends. So let me say that again. God loves me, and God loves you personally and powerfully. And passionately. Others have promised to do that and have failed. But God has promised to do it and he has succeeded. And look at the table if you don't believe that. He loves you and I with an unfailing love. And as I said, here's the wonderful and exciting truth in this. That if you and I will let him open up our lives to him, he will fill us with his love. And then and only then will we have a love that is worth giving and worth sharing to a world out there that's crying out for that love. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit today or about love and how we can fill ourselves with that love. So if you have your Bibles, you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And we'll read from verse 36. Luke chapter 7. And we're reading from verse 36. And this is God's word to us. And as I've said before here, this is the most important part of the service. God speaking to us. And this is what he says. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar full of perfume. And as she stood behind him, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards a woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And we'll pray that God will bless that word to us. So here's a story from scripture. We have two main characters in this story. And they couldn't be so different. There was Simon. And he was looked up to, admired. There was this woman. She was looked down to and hated. There was Simon. Church leader. There she was, a streetwalker. Two completely contrasting people. He made his living by promoting standards. That was part of his job in the, in the synagogue of telling people how to live good and godly lives. She made her living by breaking these commandments. He was having a party. And she was gate-crashing that party. Now, if you ask any of the residents in that town that they were to point out the more pious of the two, they would all say without a doubt, Simon. Why? Well, he was a man of the cloth. He was a man who knew his theology. He was a man who everyone looked up to. Anyone with any common sense, it would seem, would pick out, math, uh, pick out Simon as the pious one. Everyone would do that, except Jesus. He picked the woman. And he goes on to tell why he picks on the woman to Simon. I wonder if Simon really actually wanted to know, but Jesus tells him anyway. The woman came into Simon's house, gate-crashed that house. It was just a complete and utter embarrassing situation for him. 
You could imagine it. Here was a, a man of the upper, uh, the upper echelon of, of society. It was a party with invitation only. And you could imagine what was going on in his mind. Who let this woman in to my house? This riffraff of a woman. Everyone knew her. Simon was angry. And he was embarrassed. And he seemed to be more and more embarrassed by what the woman was doing, groveling at Jesus' feet, kissing them no less. It was terrible. And Simon thinks a thought. He thinks, if Jesus is who he says he is, a prophet, he would know what this type of woman was. He would know that she was a sinner, a streetwalker. And one lesson that Simon learned that day. And it's a lesson that we all need to learn. And it's this. Don't think thoughts that you don't want Jesus to hear. Because Simon thought these thoughts and Jesus heard them. And Jesus goes on to share his own thoughts with Simon. One lesson that we all need to learn. Don't think thoughts that you don't want Jesus to hear because he knows your thoughts right at this very moment. Anyway, Jesus begins by telling Simon a parable and it's about a man who loaned two other people some money, one quite a lot, the other just (coughs) some pittance. And then Jesus asks the question, who do you think? Um, uh, who do you think would love the man the most and Simon says I suppose the one with the largest debt and Jesus says that's right Simon he said you invited me in to your house and then you treat me like an unwanted guest Simon there was no customary greeting from you There was no kiss of welcome. There was no washing of the feet. There was no oil for my head. I wonder what you would feel like if I said to you, right then, Miriam and I would like to invite you to our house in Stirling. Come on. And so you come and you knock at the door and I come and answer it. And I just look at you. I just walk away, I don't take your coat, I don't shake your hand, I don't say welcome, come on in. I'm sure you would feel terrible. I'm sure you would just want to leave. I'm sure you would think, hmm, maybe Dracula has better manners than this man Robert Young. Simon does nothing. Why we don't know, he does nothing to make Jesus feel welcome. Well, here's a contrast. The woman, however, does everything that Simon doesn't. We don't know her name. We just know her by reputation. She's a sinner. And by that definition, she was a prostitute. She had no invitation to the party. She had no standing in the community. And yet, people's opinions of her did not stop her coming. 
when she knew that Jesus was there. If you just take a little bit of time, as I did, to look at this woman, it's amazing. Every move that she makes is measured and meaningful. Look at the things that she does, the movement that she has. They are measured, thought out, meaningful. Every gesture seems to be (coughs) exaggerated. She puts her cheek on Jesus' dirty, filthy feet. He had just come in from a long journey. And the roads in these days were pretty, pretty dirty. She does something that's unthinkable. She has no water, but she has tears. She has no towel, but she has this long, lovely hair. As one translation I read put it, she rained tears on Jesus. And then she takes the most probably expensive possession and the most prized possession that she had of any worth, and she pours it on the feet of Jesus and begins to massage his feet. Now the aroma must have been absolutely amazing. It's like me putting um, my aftershave in the morning. The room is just filled with old spice. It's brought it wonderful. And so the aroma there would be powerful. It would be inescapable, as was the irony of the whole situation. Now when you look at the story... You would think that Simon of all people would have known what to do, would have known to show love. Wasn't he a student of the scriptures? Didn't he know that the Lord time and time again said, love your neighbor as yourself, look after the widows and the orphans, look after those on the outside to bring them in? Wasn't part of his whole faith built on hospitality? But he's harsh. He's unfeeling. If you read the story, you would think that this man was where the woman should be. And you would think this woman should be where Simon was. In reading the story, you would think that this type of woman would want to avoid Jesus. And yet we see her drawn to Jesus. Now outside there's a world out there that seems they don't want to know Jesus. But don't be fooled. Jesus will draw people to himself. And that's where we will come in and do the rest. But don't be fooled. People are drawn to Jesus. You see, Simon's love was calculated. In fact, it was stingy. But her love was something again. Her love was exaggerated. Her love was risky. She was willing to be made a fool of. Because she wanted Jesus' love. How can you explain that? How can you explain the different reactions to Jesus? 
I heard a sad thing. Well, I didn't hear it. I, I read a sad thing the other day there. And it was a survey that was taken in the churches of Scotland. It wasn't any particular denomination. It was a survey over the whole church, uh, whole church life in Scotland. And this is the conclusion that they came to. The conclusion that they came to is this, that Christians are great in trying to bring people into the church. But when they come into the church, they don't know what they to do with them. And people coming into the church feel as friendless as they could ever be. That they're willing to go that one step, but they're not willing to go the, the rest. Bring them into the church, but don't ask us to love them. And we see these different reactions. Simon wanted Jesus into his house. But he didn't want to do the rest. So what is it all about? Is it about the training that we need? Is it about our lack of education that we might not have? Is it about the money and the standing in society? Well, that's not the case as far as Simon is concerned, because he would be well trained as a Pharisee. He would be well educated, and he would have money. So what was the difference that made this woman so acceptable and so usable, and Simon has not? I want to suggest to you that there is an area in this woman's life that we don't find in Simon's life. And this is kind of the crux of what I want to say. She made a discovery that Simon didn't. What was one of the treasures when you read the story, you have to read it a few times, that she treasured, that she cherished, that she wanted more, and Simon didn't. And the simple answer is God's love. When you read it, that's what she's desired. God's love. We don't know where she heard about it, where she had received it. Maybe she heard Jesus speaking. If you go back a chapter to chapter 6 of Luke, Jesus talks about the Father's great merciful love. Maybe she heard Jesus speaking about it. We don't know where she came by this knowledge of Jesus. But she wants him. And she wants everything that he has. She came thirsty. Maybe it was through guilt. Maybe it was through regrets as she looked back over her life. Maybe it was the thirst of countless nights of making love and finding none. But she came to the feet of Jesus thirsty. And when she came to the feet of Jesus thirsty, he hands her the goblet of loving grace. And she drinks it. That's it. She drinks it. She doesn't sip. She doesn't take it and just put it on her lips to wet her lips. She drinks deeply and fully. And you can see when you read the story, the hardness inside beginning to soften and melt. She came thirsty, she drank deeply, and she was satisfied. She left having something to give. 
Now look at Simon. It seems to me as I read about him and as I thought about him, he doesn't have any thirst or desire. Sadly, people like Simon don't see their need of God's loving grace. Oh, they can analyze it, they can know all about it, they can read about it. It wasn't that Simon couldn't be forgiven. He just thought that he didn't need to be forgiven. Oh, she does, and he does, but not me. And so while she drinks it up, he just becomes more and more puffed up. While she then has ample to give, sadly he has nothing to offer. Now why? Why? I want to suggest that the answer is found in Jesus' words. When he says in 747, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. It's an easy verse to remember. Just think of the great jumbo jets that fly the sky, the 747. Well, this is Matthew 7 verse 47. What's so great about a jumbo jet? What makes it so spectacular? Well, I went and looked, and the secret of the jumbo jet is its wingspans. It has enormous wingspans. And in these wingspans are only one thing, fuel, petrol, or whatever aeroplanes fly in. I think it's actually kerosene. The aeroplanes fly in. The wings are full of fuel. And these wingspans are filled with fuel so that they can take the 747, these great distances carrying a great amount of people. A person who has been forgiven a little just shows a little. In other words, you can't give if you've never received. If we, if we have never truly received God's love, how can you ever share it with people out there? And here's where I come in. I try. I try my hardest to love people. I conjure up in my mind, I am going to love that person even if it kills me. And it just might do that. Kill me. Because I can't love that way by myself. And the more it doesn't work, the harder I try. What's the one way to try and mend a broken relationship, say? Try harder. Try harder. And from the reading of this passage in Luke, we see that we're missing a very important step. Could it be the first step of loving is first of all to go and be loved, to drink it in. The secret of loving is receiving that love first. 
The scripture says you love because you received. We love because He first loved us. Do you want to love the world out there? With a true godly love. Then go to God and ask for that true godly love to be poured into you. Ephesians 5 says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly love children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us. One of the hardest things that I find is learning to lovingly forgive someone that might do me wrong. How can I do that? I can't do it on my own strength. It doesn't work. So I go and take a pint of loving forgiveness from God and now I have the ability in God's strength to forgive. How do you tell a person or a couple whose marriage is falling apart and they're trying so hard and it's not working? They're missing a step. They need to go back and first of all fill themselves with God's love. And that relationship will be mended. When I think about this kind of love, I always think of my Canadian daughter-in-law. I have a lovely Canadian daughter-in-law. She must be lovely because she likes me. But when we first met her, she was going to come and spend a Christmas with us. And so we contacted her and said, Sue, now we want this Christmas to be special. What can we do to help you so that you'll enjoy this Christmas together? And she calls me dad. She says, well, dad, she said, you know, I've been in uh, Britain for a couple of years. She was across here doing a course at the university. And every Christmas... Just before I've gone home, I've been at people's houses and they all have these artificial Christmas trees. She said, if you want to make me really feel at home, get a real Christmas tree. And I thought, good. So Miriam and I went out and got, we never had a real Christmas tree before. We didn't know what to do with it. (laughs) So we got one with a pot. Put it there, put a lovely cloth around and made everything um, nice and... It was there, we decorated it, it really looked good for the first few days. And then it started to shed, and it shed, and there was a real mess around it. And every day I'm having to get this hoover out to hoover up, it was terrible. And then someone said, Robert, try a little bit of water. I didn't realise that this tree in that pot needed water. And this is true, folks. As soon as we put the water, the tree drank it and it came alive. It was like a Christmas tree that we all wanted. Just by giving it some water to drink. The tree to be its true self was thirsty. You and I, as Christians, have everything we need. God has promised that. The only problem is, we sometimes don't ask for it. Do you want to love someone the way that God loves them? 
then first of all go to God and take a transfusion a transfusion of love his love and then you'll have it it'll be there to give and it's as simple my friends as that go and drink it in and then you'll be ready for whatever God has for you there's a world out there drink God's love in and you'll be ready for it when the opportunity comes we're going to go and have communion I would like to ask that we would just be quiet here is the place where we meet Jesus face to face here is a place where we are reminded of God's great love to us. It can't be any clearer than that. And the challenge to me, and the challenge to you, drink it in. Take time to drink God's love in. Realize how much He loved you. She came because she wanted it. And this woman, and she drank it in. Drink it in. Be prepared for whatever will lie ahead this week. But please, please don't go from here thirsty. The promise is that he'll meet you face to face. The promise is that he will pour his love into you. Will you do it? Quite simply, will you do that? And just be refreshed and ready for all that God has for you. Now this is the Lord's table. And all is welcome. But maybe if you don't know and love the Lord, you've never taken that step, then please don't feel embarrassed. Just let the elements pass you by. No one will say anything. But the question I would want to ask is if you are a person who is doing that, why? Why are you doing it? Why have you never ever taken that step to enter into God's love and all that he's done for you on the cross? Why? Maybe this is the day that you will do that. As I did it these many, many years ago at the Billy Graham Valley. Just ask Jesus to come in to be your Lord and Saviour.